Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Also, just want to say a big thank you to our partners over at America's Best Bowstrings, hand-built in the USA since 2006. Amazing customer service, awesome quality and performance. Their Platinum Series strings are what we all run on our bows. We absolutely love them. Go and create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Before we get into this episode, let's thank our partners over at Shea Butler Knives. And Shea makes custom everyday carry knives with the Rhino and Pursuit. His Ranger and Whitetail and Featherlight knives are amazing for anything, but especially out in the field. Shea's creativity, high quality materials, functional but unique designs, coupled with his precise leather work, make products that will last a lifetime. Check them out over at SheaButlerKnives.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Before we get into this episode, I want to share with you a few discount codes that will help you save some money and get ready for the upcoming hunting season. The Elk Collective is the virtual elk hunting resource with tons of videos and information to get you ready to chase elk this upcoming season. Use code podcast and save $30 today at the elkcollective.com. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. New things are on the horizon, so use code ANTLERUP to save 25% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Thanks to our partners over at Tether, Tether makes premium saddle gear by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. They just dropped some new gear like the MVP, which can turn your saddle into a two-panel or just a more rigid back support. And also some new suspenders, so if your saddle tends to sag, grab a pair. And both items are retrofitted, so it doesn't matter what saddle or brand you have, they're going to work. Check them out at tethernation.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 93. On today's episode, Dimitri and I had Brandon Miller on the show live on the Bullhorn app. Brandon resides in southeastern PA and is part of the Everyday Outdoorsman, where he films for them and shoots for them, does some amazing things with that group. 
He tagged out on a beautiful eight-point buck right here in Pennsylvania last week. And Brandon shares this specific story, his favorite tactics to hunt, transition, and travel routes, along with some food sources. And we get into some self-filming chat and some other topics. Some really good whitetail information in this one, especially for those living right here in the state of PA. So sit back, enjoy this fun episode, and antler up. But yeah. dude, thank, thank you so much for coming on, Brandon, and taking the time out. And you know, where where in Pennsylvania are you actually? Like, what's home for you right now? Oh, I'm from Lancaster, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, in Lidditz. Okay, very cool. Now, I saw yeah, that uh, down here in the South Central, Southeastern. Nice. So you played baseball uh, and pitched, and you did a little bit in the minor leagues. Uh, I'm actually state college uh, high school's varsity head coach out here. So baseball is a big. Oh, okay. Team. Baseball has been a big part of my life, and Dimitri played uh, college uh, football, uh, so it's pretty cool to talk to fellow sportsmen and all that type of stuff. Yeah, no, I played a little bit of baseball. I played for Millersville University, um, and then ended up getting drafted in 2016 by the Mariners. Played a year and a half there, then was traded mid-season to the Miami Marlins. So uh, did another year and a half there, and then called it quits. So I had Great. three years total in pro, pro ball. Very cool, man. Did you play with uh, Kyle uh, Peterson by chance? I did. I yeah, did. Yep, I, taught, I know Kyle. I taught Kyle. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's small that, world. <laughs> small world. How about it, man? That's, <laughs> that's pretty cool, dude. Yeah. Well, Brandon, before we get into talking a little bit about, obviously, your success for this past season with the 2021 awesome buck uh story that's one i read your full thing and i'm like dude i gotta reach out and get him on to to talk about this and (laughs) and obviously the more i you know you do a little bit more research and uh what you got going on with the everyday outdoorsmen and that that social media page and what you guys do such a phenomenal job and well known for with all that i was like man we got to get him on and talk about right now so before you do that though Give yourself a little bit, you know, how ironic you did play baseball, some pro ball. Uh, What would your hunting card say on the back there? Like, what is your go-to, I guess, things you love about most about hunting and outdoors? And Yeah, I mean, for me, I've been filming for the Everyday Outdoorsman for about 10 years now. My buddy and I, he actually started 10 years ago, and I kind of jumped in with him and uh, just was, just loved filming hunts um it's kind of it feels wrong to go into the woods now without a camera uh so i really love the the videography aspect of the of the adventure um and i also love the fact that you never know what's going to happen and uh kind of like this story uh that we'll probably get into here a little bit um you just never know what's going to happen when you're walking in the woods and i i really enjoy that aspect of it uh each season's different each deer is different each piece of land is different and that's what I enjoy. I enjoy public land hunting. I've grown up doing that my entire hunting career and um, just learning about different parts of PA and Maryland and just learning about the public land. Uh, it's always a learning curve and I always love learning more about deer, deer hunting, the, the way the thermals work, all, all the things that go into deer hunting and, and killing deer. Uh, it's just, it's fun to learn about how they move and how they act. So those, I guess, are the couple of things that I really enjoy about deer hunting and that's why i continue to do what i do 
And now before we get into your story, talk a little bit about self-filming, because I think, you know, a lot of people are getting into that a lot more now. And we've all been through some struggles of self-filming and, and some of the, the highs and the lows that come with it. You know, talk a little bit what sure. you've kind of encountered over the years. Yeah. Um, and we we have filmed for quite a few years, but I didn't kill my first deer self-film until 2018. It was actually one of these bucks back here. Killed him on public land here in, in Lancaster County. And it's it's a learning curve. It, it took me that long to figure it out and to get it done on self-film. Years past, we'd always have a cameraman with us, like Grant or uh, Herschel or even Cameron would film. And we'd just kind of rotate. One guy would hunt, one guy would film. And we had a bunch of guys in our crew and and we just have guys filming and we would, uh, that's how we would do it. And now with, I guess, limited time to hunt, things are changing or some of us are getting married. Some of us have kids. So we wanted to maximize our time in the woods. So now we just self-film. Basically everyone self-films self -films now. Um, so it, it was definitely a learning curve trying to run a second angle camera and your main camera and uh, be able to be aware of your surroundings, what the deer are doing. And, um, so yeah, that made it challenging, but once you get a, the first couple under your belt, it's never easy, but you, you know what you have to do, um, to get it done and get the shot on film. So it's definitely a learning curve. Um, we have, we've been doing it for quite a while. So we've, we've kind of upgraded our cameras as we've gone through, but I'd encourage people that are starting to get into it, get, get like a small handy cam. We, we like Sony, but any small handy cam. Uh, GoPro, that's what we use. Um, that's what we started with and it just really worked. So it's a good way to get started into it and then kind of build your way up through as, uh, as you go along. And I think the, the hardest part about cell filming is, is right at that moment when you're getting to the shot, right? Because I think a lot of times there are shots that you have to pass up, right? To kind of make sure you on, on the deer, you know, drawing at the perfect time making sure is that deer going to stop in frame you know i think a lot of that is the the commitment you make to to film in the hunt that is probably the hardest thing to kind of commit to yeah exactly and and for me like this year my my number one goal was to kill one with the recurve on film now i didn't get that done yet but <laughs> yeah there's 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 something there's something to having to know where the deer's eyes are and there's been times where I've gotten picked off doing it because you have to move to get the camera in position. Um, like last, like actually my first deer this year, a doe down in Maryland, I was actually drawn on the deer and ended up my camera wasn't on the deer and the deer kept moving. So I wouldn't have been able to shoot anyway. So I had to uh, let down, move the camera, get redrawn, rearrange and everything, and then shoot that deer. And then the one buck I shot here in 5B in 2018, that was my first self-filmed deer self-filmed buck uh, i actually had to move the camera with my bow full draw and came back up and shot him right through the shoulder so there's different adjustments you have to do and you kind of learn on the fly like i never practiced anything like that but it's just stuff you have to do in the moment to get it on film i feel like my bow would just explode during that moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was a little it was a little finesse uh, had to get it get it just right Heck yeah, man. Well, you say that too. And Dimitri, you bring up a point that was actually happening for me last night. So 
uh, you know, Brandon, we'll, we could possibly later down on the episode we'll get into a, our eventful night that we had last night with the cold front here in PA. Uh, but last night, okay. we, I, you know, I had a little, uh, I convinced myself it was a little button buck coming through mm-hmm. and time of the season. I'm just looking to put some meat in the freezer and uh, I was hoping that it was a doe. And I, this deer came across for me on this little down on this ridge and coming across and I ranged the tree and I'm like, okay, is that the one that I ranged at 26? It's behind that one. So that's about 30. It was a pretty far shot, like through some thick stuff. And it just kept moseying through it. You know, it's that last light and you know how bucks are. They're just continued. They're on a mission going from point A to point B. And, uh, I just, I, I put the camera, I swung it around the tree because I'm in a saddle and I just hit record and I zoomed in just a little bit in, in that area that the deer was going to. And as I swung around the other side of the tree, I'm like, okay, I think I was like, no, that's, I put up, I'm like, that's, that's definitely a little, a uh, little button buck. And I just, you know, let, let the deer go. And a couple minutes later, I heard some, some uh, impact. So again, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe later or another time. But so with the recurve, man, that, that's the goal for this year, right? Yeah, that on film. That's my next on goal. film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you, you, know, you got it done on film. That's the goal. Yeah, because you already got one done uh, down with the recurve. Yep. So, dude, talk yep. about talk about your 2021 PA buck tag already, man. Heck of a story. So, <laughs> I mean, go for go go through it all because it, it's it is fascinating. It's it's awesome. It's fun mm-hmm. and it's exciting. And man, it's, it's so cool for you. Yeah, so at around 6.15, I, and I had planned on doing this, but at 6.15, I had uh, said to my wife, I'm going to go shoot my bow real quick because I was planning to hunt the next day um, after work, which we had a decent cold front coming in. I mean, we haven't really had a good, good cold front yet, but we had a, a decent temp drop the next day, and I was like, hey, I'm going to go shoot my bow real quick, and I left my house at 6.15, Got to my parents' house around 6.25 and stepped out of the car, out of my truck, and realized I had a decent east wind. It wasn't a strong east wind, but it was there. It was about maybe three mile per hour to six mile per hour, somewhere in there. And I stepped out of the truck, and my parents' property is a big rectangle. And on one side, it's all grass, like my parents' mow, and then the other side, it's thick cover. And the whole property is bordered by fence row. So what I ended up doing is my dad actually mows a horseshoe path out in the thick stuff because he trims trees out there. He plants trees out there. It's just kind of deer habitat. He doesn't hunt it a whole lot. But um, he and I do a couple drives here and there each year with, with guns just to see what we can get moving. But we haven't archery hunted it. The last time I archery hunted it was 2011, and I shot a doe. And that was actually my first archery doe. Um, shot that off their property, hanging a tree. And so I walk out on the north side trail. The trail does a horseshoe around the property. So I walked on the north side of the trail, went in the woods about, I'd say, 60 yards. And I didn't really know where I was going. I, I had an idea of which direction I wanted to go. And I knew kind of where they bed from previous history in there. And so I got in there, and it was super loud. The high, they live close to a highway and the crickets. And since the wind was so light, the, the sound of the highway and the crickets was just kind of overpowering my footsteps going in. So it was very, I was very undetected going into there. 
So I walk in about 60, 50, 60 yards, and there's this big maple tree on the left-hand side, and there's a cornfield on the other side. So I was, so I was thinking, hey, if I can get up that maple tree and see that edge of that cornfield, I might have a chance of killing something working that edge right before, right before uh, legal shooting time ends. So I get up the tree at like 6.30. I'm up about 10 feet, standing in a big crotch of a tree. And my back is towards my parents' property, which is where the bedding is, because I was focusing on that edge of the cornfield because I could see trails coming in and out of the cornfield. And I, from previous uh, history, they worked that edge. So I got up in that tree at, at 6.30. It didn't take me long. I stepped out of the car and within five minutes, I was up the tree because uh, I only walked 50, 60 yards. And at 6.45, my, back my back's facing my parents' property. At 6.45, I heard a snap behind me. And I look over my left shoulder. And on that horseshoe trail that my dad mows is this dandy buck standing at 10 yards. He takes one step forward and hits my scent trail of me walking into the tree. So he's broadside, but he doesn't look directly at me. He kind of looks at a 45-degree angle. And... I was able to kind of swing my bow behind me. And as I'm swinging my bow, I was pushing it away from me. And I had my, my draw hand on the string. So I was pushing the bow away from me, kind of to draw the bow as I was swinging. And he came in and he had this big branch sticking out of his rack. He had been working a scrape and rubbing a tree, uh, apparently. And he came in, stopped at 10 yards, broadside. And I was able to draw my bow behind me. And it was it was my footing. I was standing on top of my feet. So I had my right foot over my left foot. So it was really awkward positioning. Um, but I was able to draw my bow. And as soon as my broadhead hit his vitals where I needed to be, cause I, in my periphery, I see the broadhead tip and that's, I, it's, I shoot instinctive. So I have th uh, three under, I use a glove, shoot three under. And as soon as my broadhead hit his vitals, I let her fly and, he like kind of his front end kind of lifted up, but when he came down, his feet weren't under him anymore and his chest dug into the ground and he like, he almost plowed a trench and there's actually, I took a video. We have video of all this and it'll be out on the channel here this week, but there's actually a trench in the ground from his brisket. He was kind of pushing dirt as he went through when he went down the trail. Um, but then he was able to get his feet up under him and um, I didn't listen for him to go down like I should have. I was, within seconds i was on the phone with my buddies like telling him hey i just shot like the biggest buck i've ever shot um and he went out out the trail that my dad mowed he went towards the house so i called all the people i wanted to call got down out of the tree and went up to my the impact and there was blood everywhere but i didn't stay there i went around the horseshoe kind of away from him and out the other side of the property as i was walking out there it was just scrape after scrape after scrape he had been living in there and there was one where he had peed in it and freshened it up. So I think that's where he was. He got the, the big branch from in his rack. But I went all the way around uh, back to my truck and guy, my, my buddies started rolling in. I got three buddies there, Grant, Cam and Caleb. They all came over and we went back around. I wanted to show him like all the scrapes and where this deer came from. So we went in the long way, got to the impact and we started filming the whole thing, the whole ordeal. And I got, we got to the impact and we're looking for the arrow, no arrow, but there's just blood everywhere. Started tracking him about five yards later, there's my arrow. And it was just completely soaked. Um, it was one of the, it was one of the crazier 
um, blood tracking jobs have ever done. I mean, there was just blood absolutely everywhere. Um, there's just clumpy, like, um, coagulated blood on the arrows, all in the, there's, there's bubbles on the arrow. So I knew it was a really good hit. Um, so we started tracking and he went probably 50, 45, 50 yards. And he was trying to go back to his bed. He was down the trail and then turned, made a direct uh, left turn at 90 degrees and was heading back up over this little knoll to his bed, never made it. And we found him piled up, piled up in the weeds. And he was, he's a, he's a beautiful deer, just real symmetrical. He, I believe he's probably going to score in the 105, 110 range. So he's not an absolute monster, but he's my biggest deer to date. And to do it with a recurve um, is pretty special. And I go into it in more detail on the video. But uh, this past summer, we were going through my grandpa's things because uh, he had passed away um, in 2020 in March. And I found his old recurve. And my goal was to kill one with his recurve this year. That was my number one goal. And two weeks before the season, uh, I took a shot, practice shot, and the string sank down into the limb. It, like, peeled the limb off, um, like, put the, the, the string right through where the seam was in the limb. So that bow was basically done, um, but that bow was 60 years old. So um, it probably had some, some dry rot in it and just stress <laughs> from shooting it over the years. So that was kind of disappointing, but I had a Samic Sage recurve that I hunted with. And I got that in 2012 and actually hunted six years with it and never was able to kill one, but ended up, I hit a deer, hit a doe and never could find it. And I just took a, took a step away for three years, got a compound, um, shot a mess of deer shot. I think I shot, I shot eight deer last year, seven with the compound. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to get back into it this year after finding my grandpa's recurve. So I, I threw hundreds, if not thousands of arrows downrange this summer with, with my grandpa's recurve and then my Samic Sage recurve, um, just trying to prepare for it. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's a little bit more of a special deer to me because it was kind of inspired by finding my grandpa's recurve. Heck yeah. Um, so I had to get that one shoulder mounted. So he's at the taxidermist now. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's kind of the story. It was pretty wild. And I was literally up there in my uh, sweatpants, my muck boots, and a long sleeve t-shirt, not planning to hunt at all because I was going there to target practice. I was going to my parents' house to target practice and stepped out of the truck and was like, hey, I'm just going to go hunt for the 25 minutes I had left in the day. And bam, there it happened. <laughs> that's crazy, dude. That's because that's the thing about that story is the fact that you had no intentions in the hunt. You're yeah. just going to shoot. And I like, I'm glad you brought that up because I, after reading that, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, you talked about <laughs> like, you know, knowing the, knowing, you know, obviously your parents' property of knowing to get in there on an east wind and just, you know, yeah. you know that that's the wind to get into. And, you know, yeah. I'll, how many times have people, you know, ah, I don't have that much time. Like Demetri and I, we try to get out at least one time during the week uh, after mm -hmm. work. And, you know, we get out maybe, what, Demetri, we meet at the trailhead about four o'clock? Mm -hmm. Probably about two hours of light left. So, time we get set up, but, you know, you never know, especially early on. They're not going to move to that last half hour, 15 minutes, maybe till dark. Yeah. So you're going up there to go practice shooting and in the sweatpants <laughs> and long sleeve shirt and you got it done. And, and uh, yeah. you know, like you said, your biggest buck to date, but more so that meet what a meaningful story uh, for you to have that for your grandfather. And that's what you wanted to do yeah. and accomplish. And you did it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's a really nice deer, but it almost means more because of that to me. Uh, and that's why I wanted to get it shoulder mounted, just so I can kind of relive that. And I've gone back since then because I had no film of the entire hunt except for the recovery. So I went back and did everything. I hung the cameras in the tree and had the GoPro rolling and just kind of ran through the entire hunt again so that I could kind of portray what actually happened in the video for YouTube. Um, so that was kind of fun reliving it and create that shot and just kind of re recreating that shot difficult because I was so torqued up, twisted um, behind um, so yeah, it was just a lot of fun to relive it, walk up through where he, um, because I, I don't have the shot on film, so I can't relive that where I want, whenever I want to watch it. So I have to go off what I remember and I'm trying not to remember or trying not to forget those things as the years go on. Cause that's one pretty special deer to me. Nice. Now that little property, like you said about the, your parents' property and your dad does all that, uh, habitat work, how, uh, how over the years ha has that kind of played a role into your success or your dad's success uh, uh, with, with some deer? So to be honest, I hunted it in 2011 with the compound, shot a deer. And then I think I the next deer I shot on there was maybe in 2016 or 17 with a rifle. I shot a small doe off there. Um, but when I was a kid, they actually farmed that uh, that other uh, it's, it's nine acres. So they farmed that back four acres for alfalfa. The Amish moon would come up and, and sickle all the, the alfalfa off. And then my dad ended up putting it into the CREP program, which is, um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but it's basically to preserve the, the habitat for the wildlife. So he's planted trees. He takes out all the junk stuff and just kind of manages it. And now it's like six to eight feet tall grass with briars and and there's kind of like a little mini forest back in there of oaks. Uh, there's oak trees back in there. There's a ton of walnuts back in there. He did a little bit of hinge cutting one year. He's planted some fruit trees. They aren't producing yet, but maybe in the next couple of years they will. Um, they also actually uh, out in their front yard and the deer have cleaned those up. Looking through that property right now, uh, my dad actually hasn't, he saw one deer this summer living there. Uh, he saw one deer across the, them are down in the corn and I don't know if there are many deer there this year, at least right now, but that buck was for sure living there. And the years we've just seen more and more deer, uh, kind of move through there. And I've run a couple trail cameras in there. I didn't run any in there this year. I haven't stepped foot on there to archery hunt in probably two or three years. Uh, like I said, we do a couple of in there, see a couple, but never really see any bucks. I saw. I saw three bucks maybe, oh man, this could be six years ago. We did a late season drive actually with my recurve and there was three eight points out there, big deer. And uh, they came running by me at seven yards, but never stopped. I was at full draw with the recurve and they just wouldn't stop. So I didn't want to force it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's small and yet the cover is thick enough and there are only very certain winds and um, weather patterns that you can hunt it on and I've kind of been learning that and I didn't really think about the east wind factor on this property until this year actually after I had shot this deer I really kind of realized and kind of thought through kind of think through your hunts afterwards like what went right what went wrong and how could I learn from that for future hunts and the east wind on their property and I think the east wind everywhere and I was talking with my brother-in-law about this the deer don't see an east wind 
regularly at all. It's kind of a rare wind and they don't know what to do with it. So they keep their prevailing wind pattern, which is normally your west wind, northwest wind pattern. And they continue to do what they were doing, even on an east wind. And that's exactly what that deer did. He came right to where, right through, like he was going on a, on a west wind. And it just worked out because I was able to slip in there with an east wind. And he was kind of all confused, came right around the horseshoe trail and was able to, was able to drill him. But uh, hope that answers your question. Kind of went down a little yeah. rabbit hole there. No, dude, that that's awesome. And Demetri, do you have anything else to ask about that before we even ask uh, Brandon about, you know, even talk about uh, what maybe the rest of this year looks like and then also talk about last year as well? Well, the only thing I, I love about the story is, is, like you said, you didn't have a trail camera in there. And, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes I, I'm starting to get to the point where, you know, we all love trail camera picks, right? Everyone mm-hmm. loves seeing big bucks on trail cameras, knowing what you have. But sometimes just going into an area and not knowing what's there, right? And you're just looking for big rubs or scrapes. Yep. And, and the unknown is a lot more exciting than trying to hunt one buck right and that's kind of what we encountered last night with jeremy and i you know we had no idea going into this spot but you know you're sitting there and you're you're seeing the sign and you know a lot of the times as when you do see something that gets you really excited it's it's a a lot better than kind of expecting the deer and, and kind of knowing it. it's a kind of a different game um mm-hmm. everyone has it a little bit different of what they like to do but uh you know, that makes it exciting in its own way. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And actually that buck right behind me up there is the one I shot on public land here in, in five B. And that was the first time I'd walked into that place ever. And I just had a tip from a guy said, Hey, this is a pretty decent spot. So I, I parked on the shoulder of the road and hiked up in there probably about quarter mile, half mile. And shot him at 7:45 in the morning he was heading back to a clear cut to bed um and i haven't stepped foot on this on my parents property i have no trail cameras in there no nothing and didn't even know that deer was in there um and yeah i've talked to a couple of people now and my dad has said it for years um the first sit in a new spot or even the first <laughs> time you walk into the new spot uh is probably going to be your best hunt and we've seen that uh, kind of year after year up in Potter County where we hunt rifle. I mean, we usually don't step foot in there until rifle and we usually kill some, some decent bucks in there. So it, it, it holds true. Oh, that's crazy, man. It's, it's exactly right. And I mean, last night, Dimitri and I, we went into a new spot on public land that again, we, we hunted around that area before, but not that specific mm-hmm. spot. And, uh, we, uh, I didn't have the encounter he had, but he had a, a, a buck encounter and, tracked a little bit and okay. came, up, came up on on, sh- on the short set side of the stick on that one mm, okay well hey at least you're on the deer you know they're in there yeah we'll get to that one but you know <laughs> Brandon, you, you talked about last season eight deer you split yeah. between pa and maryland is that correct that's correct awesome so what what do you think is the you know what attracts maryland to for for you and, and your the crew over at the everyday outdoorsman well there's a couple of things. One, it's a little closer to home. Um, two, you get a lot of tags, <laughs> which is nice. Um, we get three buck tags and unlimited doe tags. So that keeps it interesting for us. Um, that's why I was able to kill so many deer last year. Um, there's still, there's still a challenge though. There's, there's a lot of deer, but there's also a lot of pressure. So it's not 
any easier, but there are quite a few more deer. But like I said, the pressure is still there. Um, so that's kind of what draws us down there. Um, and we can just, that's where we hunt after work because it's only an hour, hour there. And, and if you get one, you're not getting home at one, two in the morning, hopefully anyway, uh, if you're doing like a midweek hunt, which we don't do a ton of them. But uh, if that's what we have to do uh, for that week, that's what we do. Because we try and get out as much as we can. We, we try and get out maybe two or three times a week if possible. Right. Now, what's the terrain features like that? You know, is it similar? Is it different? Uh, I mean, you know, because even elaborate too, like what you and, and, you know, you specifically, like what are you, you mainly hunting here in Pennsylvania? And then, you know, does it differ when you go to Maryland? Some spots, maybe it's the same. Talk a little bit about that. So I think the tactics are about the same, but the terrain and the topography is much different. I mean, I grew up public land in Potter County. It is rugged. I mean, we're, my dad and I are covering some ground for me last season. I think I walked in two and a half miles before daylight just to kind of get in there before the pressure comes because we were hunting pressure coming in from the road. Um, and dad actually killed a, a really nice buck, big mountain deer, uh, just because of that. Um, but then Maryland, it's it's more rolling hills, but the deer still act the same. I mean, they still, when, they, when they're moving around, they still want the wind on their tail. Um, they bed on the leeward side of the hill, um, for the most part, especially your bucks. Some of the does just kind of mill around and bed wherever they want. But yeah, it's more, it's more farmland. It's kind of, it's kind of similar to Lancaster County where you have farmland and woods kind of intermixed the areas we hunt right now in Maryland. It's like a 50, 50 split of fields to, to woods. Um, so yeah, they're, they're agricultural deer. They're not your big woods deer. They're chewing on acorns and sticks all the time to survive. But, uh, yeah, that there is a difference, but the deer tend to act the same, and you still hunt with the same mentality. Now, are you using the same tactics, especially here in October? Are you being aggressive where you're hunting mostly bedding areas? Um, is there a difference between PA or Maryland? Is there something that may draw you to Maryland during this week versus the other week or vice versa here in PA? To be honest, um, I'm a meat hunter. <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily target massive bucks or whatever. I, I, I like to go out and just harvest deer. Um, so I don't necessarily hunt. I don't go out and target. Here's a buck. I know of this buck. I'm going to hunt him. And that's the only one I'm going to hunt. Don't necessarily do that. I like to see wildlife. I like to see as many deer as I can see and learn. I've, we do some bump and dump style hunts where we are walking through the woods, kind of sneaking through. You bump a deer and you set up for it to come and come back. And we've actually had that work a couple of times. I don't think we've killed any deer doing that, but they've come back and we just, things just didn't work out. We didn't get a shot or whatever. But uh, yeah, so there's, there's definitely some, some different things that I do that, one else doesn't. I mean, PA, yeah, the bucks are really getting big. Uh, they're getting bigger. There's more of them, dirty, but um, they're still big bucks. I target one buck. Um, last year was one of these back here, the lowest one there on the wall. Uh, it was a nice six point the first of November, and we were just hunting in there and don't necessarily pass up too many deer. And PA, in the last two years, I've kind of been a little bit more picky. I'm not crazy picky, but um, I don't target a specific buck, um, but I still, I still am in areas where I know there's deer and big buck that live. Um, I just don't target a specific. It is time for this week's Vortex Nation highlight. 
In the heat of the moment, it is easier to said than done, but take your time. Take your time setting up in a tree to be as silent as you can. Take your time to execute your shot, know exactly where your pin is. Take your time to recover the deer that you just shot. Again, easier said than done, but believe me from past experience, I know these can be hard things to do at times. However, when you begin to take your time, you'll begin to reap the benefits. We would get along really well, huh, Dimitri? <laughs> yeah, we'd be definitely on the same page. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's good stuff, Brandon. And I think, you know, talk a little bit about maybe some of the things with, with shooting eight deer last year. Maybe that stood out to you that, uh, you know, as to why you had success. I mean, it could be just, you know, you know where the deer were and you put yourself in that position. But, like, did any particular thing maybe, you know, stand out for you in particular? So I, I was actually just having this conversation with a buddy of mine. I was kind of thinking back through each month of the season last year and September I killed two doe on public land. And then the rest of them were, I shot one on October 31st on Halloween night, I shot a doe. And then the first I shot the November 1st, I shot three deer in one sit. And that was, that was like the best kind of time that I ever had in the woods there and that last season. And then the rest of them came in either rifle or late season down in Maryland, kind of what I learned as I went through last season was we did some drives in late season and just kind of learned where those deer were moving. And I had my brother-in-law push a huge group of deer uh, to me. I could see him. There was snow on the ground, so I could see him. And it's kind of flat where we were hunting. And I saw him from a mile away and they were coming through the woods and they came right to me. And that's, we kind of learned how these deer moved down there in that one certain area. So now we know for next year and years to come how to set up on that drive. Um, but then actually opening day, uh, not opening day, the November 1st, the day I shot three, it was super windy. It was like the forecast was calling for 45, 50 mile an hour winds. So I knew I had to be on the leeward side and low. And my buddy Grant, who films with me some, or films with us a lot, and he's the one that started the channel. Um, he shot an eight point that morning, and I was sitting up a different spot that I knew about, and I didn't see any bucket in there or see any deer in there that, that morning. So I was like, hey, do you mind if I come over and sit where you were sitting? Because he was heading, and he was like, sure, come over. So I got over there, climbed up a tree that was real close to where he was, which was on the leeward side and low, and we knew that that was a transition uh, from from kind of bedding to bedding. So the deer were kind of out in uh, milling between bedding throughout the day and it was so windy and the tree tops were blown. Like it was borderline dangerous in the morning. Um, cause your, your trees were swaying We were in a pretty thick tree, which was nice, but the deer just were traveling that bottom edge there. And I think I shot my first two doe at like one thirty in the afternoon. And then I ended up throwing a random grunt in the woods, like just throwing it out there. I didn't see anything, just threw it out there. And then 45 minutes go by and at six point, came through um about 45 minutes later like i said and i didn't really think about it until later that hey he might have been responding to my uh my call because he got to the edge of my opening that i was sitting in and he stopped and just stood there and just looked and looked and looked for probably about 15 minutes and he didn't see anything so he kind of turned around and walked uh, away from me and i shot him at 37 yards quartering away and uh 
basically ran him lengthwise, took the top of his heart off, and he ran 40 yards and piled up. But um, that's kind of – we were just kind of hunting transitions last year, um, and we're that's kind of why I had success transitions and just kind of knowing where the deer travel in those areas. So that I think that's kind of what attributed to the success and just, I mean, um, like anyone, putting in the time. We hunted a lot last year, so, um, yeah, that's why we were able to harvest so many deer. Now, are you doing a lot of preseason scouting in these areas, especially with two states that you're hunting mainly? You know, limited time comes a factor. Is there something you're focusing on when you do have time to scout, or are you just kind of gathering information year by year by hunting it? Kind of, kind of doing a little bit of both. We run, I think, about 40 trail cameras. Uh, so we kind of spread them out all over the place, but we do a lot of shed hunting. The last three years, uh, we've put hundreds of miles on the ground uh, just shed hunting. And I think that's the best time to learn because your summer deer, they're in that period where they haven't transitioned to their fall area yet. So you're learning about these deer and then boom, season comes and they're gone. So being able to locate deer in shed season locate those bucks and be able to kind of see where they're bedding, see where they're living. Um, and if you usually find a shed in an area, your, your bucks typically shed where they live. So being able to find sheds, now you know, hey, there's buck living in this area. Uh, last year we found a ton of sheds. Uh, my brother-in-law and I had a, a day where we found 15, uh, which was insane. And, I mean, we knew that there were bucks in that area. I don't, we didn't think there was that many but we knew that they were there and we were able to find 15. So that's kind of, we do a kind of mix. We do quite a bit of sea, uh, uh, scouting in the summer. Now, what what months are you kind of focusing on uh, when you go out shed hunting? Is it that February? Is it March? Like what months are you really keen in on that just to see that most freshest sign too for that postseason? Yeah, I mean, February and March. And to be honest, we, we don't necessarily look for that that sign per se. We're not looking for like that the rubs and the scrapes from the past season. I mean, we'll, if we stumble across it, we'll pin it on Onyx, obviously, but we're just kind of looking for those sheds. Hey, there's something in the area. Um, and last year with so much snow where we were shed hunting was actually up um, in Bradford County and they had like 30 inches of snow. And my brother-in-law has some family up there and they actually ended up taking their, their plow, their tractor plow out into their field and plowing the snow off. So the deer could, could be out in there we found quite a few sheds in those fields where we had plowed and just fields in general we found a ton of sheds so we knew that they were down in those areas and um my brother-in-law was running some cameras up there again this year and, and seeing some really big bucks so um like we thought i mean we found sheds so there's bucks there <laughs> and they're there again now with some of the scouting that you've been doing and and kind of seeing finding sheds are you seeing that a lot of these mature bucks are kind of staying in those same areas from year to year when you kind of gather intel the following year or you know do you see them kind of sometimes shift to new areas depending on the different food sources of what might be available this year versus the next yeah and i and we we've only been shed hunting for about three years and we've only been running this many trail cameras for probably about three years as well so we're still kind of in that period where we're trying to learn and kind of get history with some of these deer um, but I ended up finding a pretty nice shed, um, it would actually be three years ago now, that was, actually I found two of them. There was two big bucks on the same piece of public ground in the same area. And uh, the next year we had them right back in there. Uh, didn't find their sheds, but they, we had a couple trail camera pictures of them. Uh, now I didn't see them this year yet, 
but um, yeah, we were kind of getting that history going with those deer and that area again is a spot where we found, I think nine sheds within a quarter mile. We call it the buck nest because uh, there was just a ton of de- ton of buck in there. And um, it's, it's proving again this year. I mean, it just seemed like that early September, mid September, late September, all of September, there was just buck after buck hitting these mock scrapes that we put out in front of our trail cameras. Um, and it, I mean, nothing big, but there's buck in the area. So, and we're having some, quite a few does. So, you know, the rut, the bigger bucks are going to be in there when they transition into those new areas to find those does. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I think that's the one key thing for me when I hunt back at home, Northeast PA is trying to find exactly where those doe are for those mountain bucks for us is, is, is the key thing. And, uh, usually when we do have a good doe herd up there and we know my dad and I locate them, it's, we could see some nice big old mountain deer. And sometimes like right about now, uh, our both of our our cell cameras that we run just because I'm I live from there to two hours away. Uh, I you start getting those little little scraggler bucks hitting those cameras right now, and, and there's out yeah. kind of just moseying around. And you know I don't get too excited. I get excited just for the sole fact that I you see some bone some some bucks on their feet right now. But you know I I yeah. know it's it's still that little too early for them the for the big guys that that we normally see during the the hot sign going. Uh, now, yeah. Brandon, what what would you say is kind of like your go-to method for hunting Pennsylvania? Ooh, it's tough. Um, like you're thinking weapon or tactics? Well, uh, man, a little bit of both. Like when you like, you know, you could even talk a little bit on as far as like your method, as far as uh, you know, what 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 weapon, and you know, are you going in uh, hunting out of uh? Uh, hang on are you hunting out of a saddle you know talk a little bit of, you know even about that because it's like since you're self-filming i know uh, you know i self-film and i i feel like i finally got my gear dialed in uh and it's not cumbersome i like even yesterday during the the rain it was, it was pretty simple i felt pretty good you know even talk a little bit about that and then you know maybe some of your your favorite tactics of like you know when this wind is here i love getting to you know clear cuts or whatever sure um, yeah, so I mean, for archery season, and for me, I only hunt out of a climber. I don't have a, a hang on setup. Um, I only hunt on my climber. Uh, it's a big thing, it's a beast, but I, I really like it. Um, I'm able to throw my pack on it and just go. Um, but PA, I think for me in archery season, I'm targeting food sources. Um, I'm targeting the food source and the trails that are transitioning between food and bedding. Um, up north in Tioga, where I've done most of my archery hunting in the last couple of years, we hunt a piece of public ground where we have a north to south ridge. It's pretty skinny, and on they bed on both sides, but it's only on the the leeward side. When the wind is blowing over the top, they're bedded on the east side. When it's blown from the east, they're bedded on the west side. So most of the time, they're bedded on the east side because that's our prevailing wind. It's so we're hunting those transitions from bedding to food and between uh, those two areas and those bedding areas. Um, that's what I did for that one buck down, that I shot down here in 5B in 2018. I didn't really know where I was going, but I walked up this little this little kind of, and I found a little opening in this in the scrub brush, and I knew there was a clear cut on one side. I had this feeling that there'd be oaks out on the flat 
And sure enough, I got right in between the bedding and the food, and here come this buck. It's the only deer I saw that morning. He was headed right, not a monster, but just kind of a nice basket rack eight. And he was my first buck with a bow and first buck, first deer. I, so that's kind of my archery tactic is kind of focusing on the, in topography. I, I do a lot of east. Um, if I can't get my feet on the ground, I do a lot of e-scouting, trying to find those weird areas in, in the top, a little pinch point or a little, uh, the topo line just bumps out a little bench, um, kind of on the military crest where the deer, the deer beds. Right. Um, and I guess transitioning into the rifle, um, my dad and I hunt Potter County, the rugged Hills. Um, and we've hunted up there. My grandpa put that cabin up there in i think 67 or 72 one of those two years um and we've been there ever since hunted those those woods for a long time and killed a ton of deer out of there um especially before handler restrictions where they shot just about anything we shot they shot a lot of deer up there um and now we're just seeing those bigger bucks but uh for years my dad has hunted this one little ravine you, you can barely see on the map it's just this little indentation in the hill and it's about a mile and a quarter, mile and three quarters to two miles in, and we get in there super early. And I shot my biggest buck uh, before this buck that I shot this past week. It's actually this eight point up here on the wall. Um, he had gotten pushed down through um, by the hunters coming in from the road. And my dad and I, my dad and I always say you got to sit there till at least ten or eleven o'clock because the deer usually show up around nine nine thirty um, when they get pushed from the deer or from the, from the road by the other hunters. So that's kind of our tactic in there for rifle hunting the pressure from other people. Um, and it just kind of seems to work year after year. Um, now I actually haven't hunted it in quite a few years. I was planning to hunt it this year, but then I shot my buck. Um, I didn't always get to get out because of baseball season and just everything. Some years I had my buck. Um, there was a couple of years where there, where I wasn't around to even hunt because, because of baseball. So it actually has been actually been since that buck in 2014 that I've hunted it. Um, but dad has killed some nice bucks out of there. So that's kind of my tactic and rifle. And, and I love it and I haven't completed the task yet, but I love stalking deer with a gun in snow. Um, I've tracked a couple of deer, a couple of really nice bucks through the snow. Um, I thought I was on a real good set of tracks one year and, I took them about a mile and I finally caught up with them. They, the wind was falling at the time. And as soon as I felt the wind on the back of my neck, their strides got shorter. Every time their strides got longer, I was, was covering ground. And then as soon as this shortened up again, I'm sneaking. would catch up to them. And I thought it was a big buck based on the tracks. Got to be two four pointers. Um, so couldn't shoot those. Um, but I ended up doing the same thing with another buck a couple years previous. He had actually rubbed a tree on the track that I had. I found fresh shavings in the snow and came up to it as a dandy of an eight point. But uh, there was a spike standing right behind him, and I did not want to shoot. And by the time uh, that spike had moved, they were all running. So I couldn't get get a shot at them. But that's one of my one of my goals as well is to shoot one while tracking it. Um, those are kind of my my two go-to tactics for, for PA hunting. Awesome. Now, how about we're starting to transition into kind of the pre-rut phrase. We're starting to see some cold fronts coming in. You know, you change in your tactics at all, kind of that pre-rut leading into the rut. Um, deer are going to be on their feet a little bit more in daylight hours. Anything changing up for you during that time? 
Um, PA, I'm not going to hunt the rut at all because of, I've shot my deer. So I'm going to be transitioning down to Maryland now. And for Maryland, since it is like that 50, 50 split between woods and fields, we love to hunt those pinch points where the woods really pinch down. And we kind of know where, hey, these doe are bedding in one area and the buck are coming from another area or vice versa. And they're tra- transitioning through. Um, it's a lot of historical data. Now, we've only been hunting Maryland for three years, but we've already kind of got this guidebook to where these deer are moving through. And we've kind of learned as we've gone uh, where they're where they're transitioning and where they're moving. So I guess for the pre-rut here, I don't think I'm going to change a whole lot, to be honest with you. I, I'm just... I don't think I'm going to change a whole lot. And this Friday, actually, we Grant and I are heading down to Maryland. It's muzzleloader season down there. That starts It starts on Thursday, but we're going to get in there Friday. So we're going to be hunting um, some scrapes if we can find them. This is a new area, never been to, never stepped foot on it. But we have a guy that used to hunt it, and he kind of gave us some ideas of where to go. But we're going to try and get in there and get up a tree and see if we can find, find some scrapes or find some rubs and, and just see what we see. Um, that's what I enjoy about about maryland there's there's quite a bit of public land and there's always a new spot to go to and i don't think i think this season so far i haven't hunted the same tree and last season i may have hunted the same tree twice or three times but i i I like to move around as much as i can um and just learn as much as i can and if something works yeah then i'll go back to that spot um but there was one buck i was targeting this year early season uh, that we had seen, and I kind of just kept moving around. I moved 20 yards this way, 20 yards that way for for a couple of days, just bumping back and forth. I never did see him again, but I ended up shooting that doe in that area with my compound. But um, yeah, I'm not going to really change up too much tactics there. Um, but yeah, just kind of hunt those pinch points in the woods uh, between fields. So that's that's what I'm going to do for basically the rest of the season, I think. That was actually going to be my next question. You know, what does the rest of 2021 look like for you now that, you know, obviously PA is taken care of and I know about Maryland and, uh, you know, any other big time goals that, that you want to try to accomplish and, you know, things you're looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to uh, this Friday and Saturday where we get to muzzleloader hunt. Some of it, some people think it's some of the toughest times to hunt, but uh, if you can get into an area where there's a lot of scrapes, it's a good time to hunt scrapes, and if there's a cold front, it could be it could be killer. So I'm really looking forward to this week, getting a gun in the hands for the first time. You can uh, get a little bit of an advantage. Um, but I'm also I'm also really looking forward to the first couple weeks in November. We've had some good success down in Maryland those first couple weeks, um, and um, we have some good bucks on trail camera. And I think it's only going to get better here as we get closer to the the full rut. Just got to hope and pray the weather cooperates. I don't know what the, the long range forecast is, but, uh, hopefully we get some cold fronts. Yeah. What does, uh, how much, you know, public land does Maryland have? I never really dove into checking Maryland out as far as, you know, hunting that, uh, you know, you just never had the really opportunity and it's not that far from us. I think that would be a cool, uh, another little close, like you said, you know, out of state hunt that you could do nearby and chase some whitetail. There, there's quite a bit of uh, public land and we actually tried to get, um, onto some private land this year. We Grant and I sent out, oh man, I think it was like 120 letters to landowners and everyone leases down there. And we're just kind of not at the point where we want to lease anything yet. 
because there's just there's opportunities on on public land and, and the public land is big yeah you'll see you'll see some guys but um if you if you're willing to walk and and kind of try out new things and new areas you'll be able to see deer and get away from the people um especially if you can get some of those midweek hunts um you're not going to see many guys Awesome. Now, I, you said earlier about, you know, learning and, and doing all that type of stuff and getting out there and putting boots on the ground. And you, you mentioned like thermals and, uh, you know, you, you talked about the transition areas and travel routes. You know, what what's the uh, you know, what has kind of clicked for you over these past couple of years that like you're like, man, uh, yeah, these thermals, you know, do this for us in this certain area. And, and mm-hmm. like you were saying about the travel routes and the transition areas. You know how how significant have these tactics you know been for you and your and the crew at Everyday Outdoorsman? Yeah, and I think it's been huge. Um, I think, and it, and I I mean, just as you brought up that question, I just thought of it now with that buck I killed this week. The wind wasn't super stiff coming out of the east, so that buck could have gotten my thermals if this was say a morning hunt, but with an evening hunt, I was kind of set up on, it may have been like a five foot drop that went from my parents' property, five foot drop down in the cornfield. And with, with that transition, my thermals were just going right down that hill, right into that cornfield. And that buck never smelled me. And down in Maryland, I think thermals are almost bigger in Maryland because it's low rolling hills. So you have to understand where your thermals are going and, the thermals kind of go, they are drawn to any kind of water. And I've seen that this year where hunting close to an old creek bed. Yeah, there's no there's no water in it, but there's there's probably water underneath it. And thermals just kind of drop right into it. Um, and I think I, I always, always think of that now. Years past, I just never thought about thermals. I didn't even know what thermals were. You just figured, hey, why is my wind swirling? Well, it's not really swirling. It's just the prevailing wind isn't that stiff and my thermals are rising. So it feels like the wind's coming from the opposite direction. Um, so being able to understand that now, it, it helps me understand, hey, I need to focus on my wind and my thermals and know what's going to happen. And I think that's big where where uh, uh, scouting comes in to know, hey, when I'm scouting, if I drop some milkweed, hey, this is what my thermals are doing in this spot. This is what they're doing in this spot. And just trying to learn about how the wind moves in that certain area. Um, and yeah, we're seeing that down in Maryland. It's just those thermals are just drawn towards that, that those low points in that water. And uh, I actually saw it a couple weeks ago where I was doing a bump and dump style hunt and I knew my wind was marginal because the wind was coming from from my face, but I knew it was very light and my thermals were going downhill towards where the deer were, but I knew that they'd be dropping right down into that creek bed and I could get away with it. And actually had, had, had a deer come right through and thermals were dropping right down and that deer never smelled me because he was on that, on that marginal edge of my scent and just never smelled me because they were dropping down into that water. Great stuff. Well, that's what I think, you know, as hunters, we're always learning something new. You're always kind of picking up on things. And and the exciting part is when you when you do that and then you kind of put a game plan together, right? You're kind of, you know, checking your boxes A, B, C, and D. And, you know, that's kind of what we encountered last night where, you know, it's kind of cool when you when you 
do that and you you know it's whether you're successful or you're just seeing the deer and you say wow you know i'm starting to put this together and and, and piece the puzzle and it's starting to make sense now right and i think we eventually get there and and you're still picking up things each year to become a better hunter yeah exactly it's like i don't target specific bucks but these things now I'm focusing on those thermals and the wind and I'm seeing more deer because of it. Yeah. I'm not targeting those specific bucks, but I'm hunting in areas where I know there's deer and I'm taking into account. This is where my thermals are moving. This is where my wind is moving. And yeah, like I said, I'm seeing, seeing more deer activity because of those things that I've learned from scouting. Awesome stuff, Brandon. Demetri, do you have anything else? I mean, we could talk about our night last night. Do you want to do that real quick? And, yeah, we can do that. All right. So uh, you go ahead, lead it off, because you were, you were the man of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I would call it that after what yeah, happened. But uh, so we, you know, we were we're hunting this new public piece this year, and, and we've kind of e-scouted it first. And, and we did a lot of scouting and trail camera work on on the other end of it. Um, and then we found out to be, it was getting crowded and we're seeing other tree stands and other hunters. And we've had multiple guys walking past several trail cameras. So, you know, we were kind of at that point where you're getting more deer or or people on your trail camera. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we found it was heavily pressured. We hunted it a couple of times and just wasn't panning out for us. So, you know, I saw this other piece and, you know, I had a, a pin marked on Onyx from e-scouting and I always love the point of ridges, you know, so those are always, uh, that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking at maps. And so I had this piece and I said, I think if we get back here, not a lot of people have been back in here. And so the biggest thing for Jeremy and I this year is we've been accessing these public with our bike so we can get a little bit deeper. So we put all our gear on, we got our bows and we're biking in, uh, you know, probably a mile, a little over a mile or so, um, and then walking the rest of the way in. And uh, so we actually went in on Thursday to this piece, never had a trail camera, never stepped foot on it, just saw it on the map. And when we got back there, the um, the fields were actually planted. It's the state, but they are planting beans and corn on it. So we had a food source, which is on public ground, um, and it was 75 degrees on Thursday. So we didn't want to dive into too fast because we knew with the one, the wind wasn't uh, as good as we wanted it to be, and two, with it being that hot, we knew the movement wasn't going to be great. So we kind of sat on the field edge. Uh, we saw two spikes that night come out and that was it. So, you know, we knew we wanted to dive deeper in. So Saturday evening, uh, we knew we could get in there early. It rained all morning. So we knew we could kind of just scout our way in, be really quiet. And then we, we went in and we kind of scouted our way in and I kept seeing a rub line and I was looking for a scrape. That's where I wanted to sit on, but I just didn't want to walk around and I was getting towards the end of the point and I was seeing rub after rub after rub. I probably had about eight to 12 big rubs within a 20 yard radius. So uh, so I knew I wanted to set up there. I set up on a ridge. And like Jeremy said, I think the same button buck came by me. Um, he kind of went down over the ridge and it was about 15 minutes before light. 
and I look down over the ridge exactly where I thought a buck would come from. And I look and I see a deer coming up over the ridge. And again, we never set foot. We didn't know any of the bucks that were in here. And all I saw was massive rack coming up over the hill. Mm -hmm. So um, he's kind of angling up right to me. Uh, and he's kind of bee lying on a mission. We all know how bucks are that that last 10 minutes of light, they want to get to where they want to go and they're not going to stop unless they have to. So he was coming up the ridge at an angle. He was at 40, he was at 35, he's at 32. Um, but he was angling towards me and I, I just didn't like any of the shots and I didn't want to stop him. Um, unless I absolutely had a perfect shot because he was kind of weary, uh, as most mature bucks are and he kind of went across i went to the other side of the tree and he had to come through a pine tree and he would have been 20 25 yards so as he was coming through this pine tree i drew my bow back but the only problem was right before he got to the opening is right where the wind was blowing so he's going to mm -hmm. be downwind and uh as soon as he hit that downwind like as i was drawn back and i was ready for him to step out and it's almost like his nose ran into a brick wall. He stopped yeah. at a dime. Um, and you just knew that he knew exactly what that scent was. And mm -hmm. he kind of circled around um, and ran a little bit. And then he stopped completely. But he only ran about 15 yards. And I mm -hmm. threw up my, I drew back down. I ranged him. He's just standing there. He's at 40 yards. I draw mm -hmm. back and uh, shoot. It's, and it felt really good. Heard the impact of the deer. He took off really hard down into the woods. Um, actually ran past Jeremy. Mm. And uh, we uh, we got down and uh, went down to the site of impact. Saw really good blood on impact. There was definitely bubbles in the blood. Um, mm. We gave him some time. We, we probably waited about an hour, a little bit more than an hour. And we decided that with that kind of blood that we probably we probably could track them. Um, we tracked them for, what would you say, doing 80 to 100 yards? Yeah, I would just say just under 100. And then that's when we backed out and went back to the truck. Yeah, so we, we, we tracked really good blood uh, for about 80 to 100 yards. We actually then found my arrow, which was broken off um, probably – eight inches from from the knock uh but the from the the whole arrow even to the knock was full of of really good blood and again each blood we were finding still finding some bubbles in the in the blood so we we went and as soon as that arrow left the deer that just started opening up where it was just like every step he was gushing blood mm -hmm. and uh we went another 20 yards and we heard a a stick snap and we didn't like that so we we backed out we went to the truck uh, a couple my dad and my other buddy came and met us we went back in it was probably about three hours now mm -hmm. um we went back in and we just followed steady like i mean piles of blood for another 100 150 yards and it didn't even peter out it just got to the point where it was a lot of blood and then there was two spots that maybe looked like it was kind of clotted up a little bit and then that was it so wow. um so we went back this morning we grid grid searched the whole area and uh did not find them it was wow. uh 
pretty sad, pretty sad day. It was rough, yeah. but you know, that's hunting and yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's tough sometimes. Mm. Just curious, what, what broadhead would, you, are you shooting? Uh, so I had the Ozcut, um, Hurricane. Okay. Uh, so it's a fixed blade, uh, mm-hmm. one and one eighth, I think is what the cutting diameter is. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, he it definitely opened them up, but, uh, that's I, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I just got one, you know, talking with a lot of people, it seems like I might've just got clipped one lung, um, mm-hmm. and just wasn't enough to, to put them down. So. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It was like Dimitri was saying, it, it was a good amount of blood and, uh, I mean, your his arrow is a, a a heavy arrow. I was actually shocked that we didn't get a pass through in 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 general. Uh, yeah. Right right off the bat, just because I mean you're shooting a four sixty four seventy grain arrow. It's not like you're shooting, mm-hmm. you know, a three hundred eighty grain arrow. Uh, right. But yeah. Uh, it, it you know like like you said though, you we put in lots and lots of miles and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully that first hit somewhere else comes into play or another opportunity back down there sometime this season and get another crack at them you never know like Demetri, you said it, sometimes uh it's good to share the bad just because it's not always the ice cream and rainbows <laughs> well, I, well and you know it's, it's one of those things too where you know you go back and you try to replay everything that happened and you know sadly there's nothing that i would change you know there was no where it showed that he was bedded down and we we bumped him so you know that definitely wasn't a play it, you know, the shot felt good, you know, from hitting lung, you know, it, it was, it wasn't off by much, you know, at a comfortable yardage at 40 yards. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that just, just happens. Even that, even like how you, how, when you said about the snap, when we were tracking them, I, I think if it was that deer, we would have heard more than just a tree snap, like a twig snap. I don't know, man crazy stuff and so hopefully the, this cold front this rest of the end of this week for us we could get something out there and, and see some deer moving and have at it yeah it's gonna be a good week especially late in the week that's what it seems like it's warming up i think midweek i think tomorrow looks yep. good tuesday wednesday thursday it starts it's they stay pretty steady and then friday saturday looks awesome yeah Saturday, I mean, I think Friday has uh, like a five degree temp drop, at least where we are. And then Saturday's another five degrees. So I think both days are going to be good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Brandon, where could people, uh, you know, learn and, and watch you guys and, you know, see what else you have going on, you know, personally and, and obviously with the Everyday Outdoorsman? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have a YouTube channel, the Everyday Outdoorsman. Uh, we try and get up somewhere between one or two videos a week during the season if we have time to edit. Um also find us on on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and if you want to see what I'm doing on personal, uh, my personal account it's b underscore m i l l twenty eight. That's on Instagram. So yeah, that's where you guys can find us and find myself. And we try and post quite a bit so we can keep everybody informed on what what's going on on our side. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your wisdoms, sharing your stories, and uh, hopefully we, maybe we can pick back up sometime after the season and, and do something again for a recap of the whole year. So thanks again, Brandon, and everybody, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed it, and see you next time. Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and be sure to head over to antlerupoutdoors.com. 
Check out our Facebook page, our Instagram, YouTube. Best of luck to you out there with this cold front coming. Have fun out there. Be safe. Knock them down and antler up.